All right. Well, this morning, before we jump into God's Word and, and hear a message from the Word of God, we have the wonderful privilege of hearing a story from one of our own, Ronette. And she is from the Hood to the Cross Ministries. She's an incredible woman, and you're going to be uh, just encouraged greatly, I'm sure, by her story. Ronette's story is a story that is full of uh, endings and beginnings, some of those very painful, some of those very difficult, some of those the work of Jesus in her life and bringing new life to her and to many people around her. So let's enjoy this video this morning and watch Ronette's story. Uh, first of all, my mom wasn't supposed to have any more kids. Her tubes were tied and um, she was pregnant with me and didn't know she was pregnant with me until she was seven months along. And I, they thought I was skin adhesions, and I wasn't. Um, I have a little brother that passed away when five days old, and then he didn't make it, of course. And then my brother, he was barely five pounds. He barely made it. So they went ahead and told her she, wasn't, she couldn't have babies no more. So they fixed her, and then 10 years later, my mom was in her late 40s and she got pregnant with me. And then when she found out she was pregnant with me, um, I was supposed to be a boy. Two ultrasounds showed I was a boy all the way up until I was born. And when I was born, the, she said that the doctor about passed out because I was born a girl. So I went home in boy clothes. I had a boy's room and it just went downhill from there. Uh, my brother abused me. My brother tried to suffocate me. They had to put me in their room, and I had a rough going. And then I was abused by a family member that actually took me to strip pits and tried to get rid of me. And the police, this is when I seen God real. I was headed to the strip pits, and he said he was going to kill me. And we went to the strip pits, and I, I, I honestly seen the, some flash inside of the car and the policeman came out of nowhere, out of the woods. This policeman came out and he said, what are you guys doing out here so late? This was in Catoosa, Oklahoma. And the policeman made him take me back home and he followed us back home. And, um, and my mom's cousin said, you, you, you take her, I can't, I'm not doing nothing with her. There's something going on here because it was bizarre. And I went inside and my mom yanked the coat off of me. And she says, we're going we're gonna to do something else with you. And I, I just had it rough. Uh, my, my grandma used to drag my mom off of me. I was bleeding. And my mom, my mom just used to beat me with switches with belts. And my grandma just basically took over raising me. And, my, and she would try to keep my mom away from me. And it just gave me mental illness, like so bad. I had depression, I had anxiety. I had, no one wanted me. And my grandma said, yes, God wants you. And God will never leave you. You gave your life to the Lord when you were 13. And God will never leave you on it. And I said, grandma, no one wants me. My mom don't want me, but she won't let me see my dad. And my dad, my, and my dad was never around because he lived in Springfield, Missouri. So my grandma said, Jesus loves you, and so do I, and so does your aunt. And so I said, well, okay. And so that was a rough upbringing. So when I was 28, I decided to join a motorcycle club or gang because uh, I wanted to be accepted somewhere. I, I was in a bar and this guy came up to me and said, you know, <clears throat> I was lifting weights and I was real buff. He says, we could really use you in our club. And I said, oh really? And he goes, yeah, and we're family. And when he said that, that sucked me in. And I was like, I need a family. I don't have a family. And I went out and they helped me buy my first Harley and uh, I, I ran with them for 20 years. So one day um, I was sitting at this other bar and hadn't done math at all. And my best friend that I knew for like 15 years in the gang, she was a lady of one of the, she was an old lady of one of the, the members of the gang. 
and she knew I'd never done meth. And she was out in the parking lot, and she said, hey, you're tired, aren't you? I said, I'm tired, I'm going home. She goes, listen, eat this toilet paper, and you'll be fine. And I said, I don't eat toilet paper. And she goes, Nia, eat this toilet paper. I ate that toilet paper, and it was the beginning of my life turning into pure hell. And that's what it was. And I, I went running and gutted from that day forward. I never stopped, never stopped. So I'm at my lowest point that I've ever been at in my entire life. I, uh, I was sitting in this drug house and they were passing around the dope pipe and I was sitting there and I was feeling weird. Like I knew something was weird about me, but I hadn't done no drugs yet. And as soon as that pipe got around over there by me, the Lord audibly spoke to my spirit. And I mean, I heard this, no one else did, because I was looking around to see if anybody else heard him and they wasn't, he said, you need to pick right now, the good or the evil road. And I was like, uh, and I was just in, in, the, in, the, in the pipe was right there and they're like, are you gonna take it or not? And they're like yelling at me and I'm like engulfed in God's voice and I'm like, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta get up right now. And I blasted out of that house. And I went out and I jumped in my truck and I left. And, and I just started crying and I said, God, I picked the road of good. I don't want the evil road. I don't wanna go to hell. Please don't send me to hell. Get me clean, whatever you have to do, get me clean. If you have to take me, take me. I can't die with drugs, in, I can't die high. So please. And that's when he started transforming my, transforming my life and getting me to people that I needed to be with. And he sent me to Tucson, Arizona in a two-year residential program where I lived and I got the treatment that I needed. So today, I am nothing like I used to be back in the day. Back in the day, I didn't care if you ate. I didn't care if you had... I would take it from you. Like, I would take everything from you, your vehicle, your whatever. But today, God has changed me at a 480 times 10 degrees. I care about humanity. I care about if you eat. I care about if you're clean. I care about if you have low self-esteem. I care everything about the people today and God's people. I love people so much now and God has put the love of people in my heart and he's now gave me this ministry that I can go out and I can preach the gospel and I can make other people disciples for Jesus Christ. And not just to say that they, that they serve him, but they're actually serving him and they're, they're being his disciples out on the streets. And that's what I do today is that's what, that's what my purpose is. That's why God was with me the whole time that I was saying that he, I didn't have a purpose and here is my purpose and God has given me it. And, and, and I work it every day for him. And I love God with all my heart. I, I just want everyone to know that everything that has, that has happened in my life for the good is not from me. It is all from Jesus Christ and what he's done at the cross and that he rose three days later and he's coming back to get us. And, and this is why Jesus Christ is, is the reason that I'm alive and well and I'm doing his will. That was some decent celebrating, but Ronette's right there with her family and friends. Can we really celebrate what God has done in Ronette's life? Amen. Ronette, thank you for being vulnerable, for sharing your story with us, being so transparent. You need to get to know Ronette. If you don't know her, she's raising her grandkids right now and helping with that process. She uh, works with people who are on the streets. She provides showers to them and meals to them. And she's done all this just because, you know, she came from, well, you heard everything she just came from. And it's all just been a work of God in her life and her just being obedient to what God's asking her to do next. And so an incredible story, a beginning beginnings 
and of endings. And Ronette, you've experienced many of those in your life, beginning and endings. And we are grateful for the new beginning that God gave you through Jesus and that you're part of this church family. And I know you've said this many times, but you were looking for a family. Have, have you found one? Where is it? Yeah, yeah, amen. Let's celebrate that. <laughs> well, these new beginnings and these beginnings and endings, and especially these endings, we all go through them, Pastor Jerry. That's kind of our subject matter for this morning. Yeah, and when we talk about endings, endings uh, to something that's meaningful to us as human beings is not something that we really enjoy talking about. Uh, if you want to talk about an ending, for example, I don't know very many people that really look forward to uh, going to see an attorney about talking about their last will or a trust where you're talking about endings. It's not something like, oh, yeah, we like, get to do that like tomorrow. Like worst case scenario kind of situations yeah, and planning for those. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, if you're married to someone that you really love and care about, you know, you probably need to have a good conversation at some point about the ending of your, of your relationship through death. Yeah. Because that's what you pledged yourself to. And those are difficult conversations uh, to have. You're going through something right now that's a difficult ending for you to think about. Yeah. Uh, you know, I started my school, my education journey in 2014. And at that time, Jackson was two and Elizabeth was... I don't know, I should have calculated like six or seven, something like that. And so, you know, I look at pictures recently of them at that age and it feels like when they're that age, it's just gonna last. Like that's, that's life, that that's how it's going to be because every day it's the same. But I'm looking at now that we're down the road on this and I'm about to graduate and I'm, I'm looking at family pictures and I'm going, where did the time go? And in just a few short years, Elizabeth's going to be graduating high school. And that's a hard thing to think about because after that point, my part in the way that it is now will be very different and will be done. So for us to sit around, what's that going to be like for you and Rachel once that happens? That's not necessarily a conversation that you look forward no. to having. No, and that's I, a difficult conversation. And Sandra and I went through that recently with uh, Will and Allie and our two granddaughters, uh, Dakota and, and uh, uh scout moving to california yeah there was they lived here for a season but that season had an end yeah and then the day came for them to, and i was dreading it mm -hmm. you know it was an ending i was not looking forward to yeah and uh they lived just a couple a few miles from you guys yeah and you know one of the th values of me being in what i do for a living and you know as a calling of god on my life as far as uh, pastoring people is i i really recognize how important it is for people to have honest and open and transparent discussion about endings yeah because if you don't do that you're going to create a whole lot of problems uh and and have problems that you wouldn't have like it's like a business that is going through a transition in leadership or a church that's going if you don't sit down and talk about succession right and endings then it really leaves things in a mess. Yeah, it does. When you reach that ending. Mm -hmm. And endings always come. But when you have those meetings with those people about those endings, those are very difficult. Absolutely. I mean, you've, you've had some pretty interesting conversations in those settings because there's grief involved. Always. Always grief and sorrow when there's an end to something that's, that's real meaningful to us. Mm -hmm. And so, but it's something that we need to face. And certainly one of the things that we need to face all human beings need to face this is that there will be an end to the world yeah. as we know it yeah and uh you know if you ask the question why why has does there have to be an end to the world as we know it well it all goes back uh brandon to genesis and so mm -hmm. i want to start out this morning reading this passage to you in genesis chapter 2 verses 16 and 17 and it says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. And here it is. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. God said you eat of that tree, there's going to be an ending. And the ending's going to be to your life. So God warned Adam in this passage that the judgment for sin is death. But what, as we continue to read the scripture, we come to understand that God's judgment of death was not just limited to Adam. 
It wasn't just limited to his descendants or humankind. The Bible says that God's judgment of death extended to everything that God had created for Adam. In other words, everything in the creation account that we have in Genesis 1 that God said was good, when Adam sinned, all of a sudden, all of those good things had an ending. Yeah. They were all going to end. And, uh, and so, and that not only included our planet, which has an end, but also all of the heavens around our planet. They all have an ending that's coming. We're talking about the end of all things. The end of all things. Now, you know, if you go to school, you'll learn that, you know, scientists agree that the earth had a beginning. And scientists agree that the earth will have an end. In fact, there's a lot of scientists who are, you know, leading a movement politically to try to do everything they can to extend the life of the earth. Mm -hmm. You know, through all kinds of, of uh, sanctions and things that they would like to see in place to control us as citizens of this world to, you know, to avoid the ending or at least delay it, right. you know. And so even scientists recognize that our world and our earth has an ending. And, but what scientists do not agree on is how in the world did the earth come into existence? Right. And I've heard some crazy things in, about that. <laughs> I mean, they're crazier than creation, uh, yes. you know? And, uh, and then uh, what scientists don't agree on is how in the world is this world going to end? Yeah, and there's a lot of discussion about that and no agreement whatsoever. If lots of different looking, scenarios. Lots of scenarios for, and, and theories on how it began and how it's going to end. But did you know that God's word is very clear about it? about how the world began and how the world is going to come to an end. In fact, it gives explicit details for us about the end of all things. Yeah, if you want to read about the beginning of our world and the heavens, then you go to Genesis. And the word Genesis itself it means literally the origin, okay? So Genesis is the book of beginnings, and so it gives all of these details, especially in Genesis 1 and then over into Genesis 2, about how God created the earth, how it all began. And uh, this creation account is called the six days of creation. Of course, on the seventh day, it tells us that God rested, rested. from his labor and from his work. Mm -hmm. Well, the last book of the Bible, Genesis is the first book, the last book of the Bible is called uh, Revelation. It could be called Endings. Mm -hmm or some kind of Hebrew or Greek variation. Absolutely. But it's called Revelation for a reason. It's the revelation that God gave to the Apostle John, that the Lord Jesus gave the revelation to him mm -hmm. after his resurrection, after his ascension. Uh, John was an, uh, an older man when this revelation came, and it's the revelation of the end, yeah. of what's going to take place at the end. And so in the book of Revelation, you have all of these details about how things are going to end. Yeah, and you know what we see in those details in Revelation, and, and that's a, a key text for us to look at in God's Word concerning endings. What we see is that God is omniscient. That God is all-knowing. Uh, he is all-powerful. He is in control of all things. None of the things that are going on are outside of his control. And where science doesn't have answers and where science is confused, let's be honest, because of all the various theories that they offer, the word of God is not confused and it provides the reasonable answer, the sure answer, because it comes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit given by God to us so that we could know the end of all things. God has revealed in his word how the world is going to end so we can know. And that's important, so that we can know. God does not want us to be uninformed about this. Could you imagine as believers how confusing this could get if we didn't know about the end and the things that were leading up to the end? Yeah, where it was all going. Yeah, all these world events going on and we would just be so confused, but God has provided a way for us to know through his word. So what we want to talk about this morning is the end of all things. We want to talk about what God has said about how the world is going to end. And this morning, what we want to do is share three important 
events that will occur before the end. So if you're taking notes, you can follow us along with these three important events that are going to occur before the world ends, and then we're going to talk about what happens when the world ends. And all of these three events are found in the uh, book of Revelation. They're also found in other places in Scripture, and we'll be referring to some other Scriptures as well uh, to show you where these events are talked about in the Bible. But the first event that we want you to know about that's in the book of Revelation, uh, that most of the content of the book of Revelation is covering this one event, it's called the Great Tribulation. In fact, there are like 13, 14 chapters in the book of Revelation that are devoted to this season of mm -hmm. time that is called the Great Tribulation. Now, we're not going to read those 13 chapters, and there's incredible detail in there. All we're going to do is just give you a little overview this morning and summarize it a little bit. But Jesus himself talked about this great tribulation. It's not just found in, in Revelation. In Mark chapter 13 and verses 19 through 20, let me read this to you. It says, Jesus said, for those days there will be a tribulation. He said, well, it doesn't say great tribulation, but look what he said next such as has not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. That's why we call it the Great Tribulation, because Jesus said nothing has ever happened like this. On now, I want you to understand what an incredible statement that is, Brandon, because you're familiar with the Great Flood. Uh -huh. Another one, we say the Great Flood, mm -hmm. which, In the you days know, of Noah. In the days of Noah, mm -hmm. you know, and so Jesus is saying there's going to be a tribulation greater than that. It's going to be worse. Oh, my goodness. And there's reasons why Jesus classified it as being worse than what we can call the greatest tribulation up to the point of this one. And then he said this in verse 20, unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. No one would survive it. No human being would survive this great tribulation on the earth unless the Lord shorten the days. But he says, for the elect's sake, the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Wow. What a description from Jesus about the end of all things. And this word tribulation, it means a great state, a state of great trouble or suffering. That's what the word tribulation means. Jesus said that this tribulation will be unlike anything that the world has ever seen the bible describes the great the way it describes the great tribulation is staggering if you take time to read revelation 5 through 18 you won't believe what you're reading it's like how could this even be because it's so incredible what the events will be like in that great tribulation it's description of the the bible's description of the great tribulation makes current events look not difficult okay and like ukraine like global supply chain problems rising gas problems inflation covid 19 pandemic it makes all these things look easy now don't get me wrong i'm not trying to downplay how difficult these things are i realize that people are suffering that people are dying that this is a terrible state that our world is in right now i'm not trying to downplay these events going on right now what i'm trying to do if you hear me correctly is i'm trying to communicate with you just how bad the great tribulation is going to be that the things that the earth is enduring right now are nothing compared to what the earth is going to have to endure during this season of the Great Tribulation. Yeah, if you started reading through the book of Revelation and you start seeing these, uh, the seven seals and then seven trumpets and then you have, you know, seven bowls of wrath and, and you see that all of these are judgments upon the earth. What you come to understand as you read the details of each one of those in the book of uh, Revelation is that they're all talking about this, these catastrophic, unexpected events that are of epic proportions. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we, we are able to see images of what's happening in Ukraine right now because of, you know, social media and technology. all the technology that we have now. Mm -hmm. And it's terrible. Yeah. But just imagine what's happening in Ukraine is happening in every major city of the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's happening at, at epic proportions, the amount of suffering that's happening. And that's the way it happens in the book of Revelation. It's just one after another after another. I mean, when you think there won't be any more, there's another one that comes in the book of Revelation. 
And the Bible says that this is all going to happen. These tribulations, these, in that, these catastrophic events are not going to happen in the first part of the tribulation. Tribulation lasts seven years long. It's going to happen in the last half. So all of these things are happening in a three and a half year period of time. Yeah. Just think about that. I mean, one after another during this period of time and just catastrophic events. In one event, just one event, 25% of the world population dies. In one event. And then there's another event in which of the survivors of that event, another 33% of the population dies. Think about that for just a second. How many people are in your family? How about your extended family? We're talking about one out of every four and one out of every three in the Great Tribulation. Incredible. And then these, these death events that are happening to the human population are also happening to every living thing upon the earth at the very same time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what economy? I mean, there won't be an economy surviving this. No. You know, uh, it, it will be, uh, you, if you're alive during that tribulation period, it, it's going to be about, you know, just trying to find a way to survive somehow, some way, uh, you know, during that time. What Jesus said about such has not been since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. We're getting the picture a little better. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And then he says what? It's going to happen suddenly. It's going to happen very suddenly. All of these events, once they begin to unfold, are going to happen suddenly. Yeah, Jesus described the suddenness of this in Matthew 24, 37 through 39. And this is what Jesus said in the scriptures. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving, giving in marriage. That sounds normal, doesn't it? Until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Incredible. Wow. Incredible. So the Bible says that there are birth pangs on the earth that lead up to this great tribulation. And certainly right now, as you read the Bible and how it describes those birth pangs, we've been experiencing them. <laughs> mm -hmm. Earthquakes, <family laughs> everything, wars, rumors of wars. Yeah, everything that Jesus said would mm -hmm. happen has been happening. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's really nothing that we have to say, well, this has to happen for the great tribulation begins. Uh, well, there's one thing that has to happen, and we're not going to spend any details. It's called the man of lawlessness mm -hmm. has to rise up upon the earth. Mm -hmm. And that's the first sign, and Paul referred to that in one of his epistles, that, hey, that hadn't happened yet. Mm -hmm, right. And I can say, well, that hadn't happened yet. You know, if I could stand up here one day and say to you, that just happened, then, you know, there's a short amount of time left before the great tribulation. Well, that would be the beginning, mm -hmm. but all of these events are just a short period of time away. Yeah, and that could really happen any time. Yeah, and, and so... Uh, these birth pangs that we're having right now that we consider to be incredible, they're just normal, you know, the suffering that we're going through in this world. And, uh, and so when you'll know that it's the Great Tribulation because it'll be of such epic proportion that you'll go, oh, okay, this is different. Mm -hmm. This is not the same that we've experienced. This is not like the birth pangs. And it's going to be unexpected. It's going to be unparalleled when it happens. And then... Uh, It'll, that very first event, as we said, will be followed by this whole series of worldwide catastrophes. And they'll happen without warning. Mm -hmm. And it will devastate the world in a way that the world has never seen. Yeah. So how will the world end? Well, first, there will be a great tribulation. And that's, that's the first thing we wanted to introduce you to as far as the end. Yeah. And I'm telling you, this is a re why do people want to talk about this? You don't want to, right? Right. Why do you want to have this information? I remember I preached on this a few... Uh, a few years ago, and one of the mothers in the church came up to me and said, you scared my children. I know I did. <laughs> I was going to say what I would say is thank you for scaring my children because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Oh, there we go. 
And but you know, I understand that when you're a mom, you know, this is sort of X-rated stuff, and yeah. and uh, you may not want your child to be aware of it. But at some point, as Christians, we all need to develop an awareness of what God said is going to be the end and how it's going to happen. And this is the first thing that will precede the end. When this is happening, we know that the end is coming. It's not yet, but there's another thing that's going to happen before the actual end arrives. The second thing is that Jesus will return to save his people and his creation from this great tribulation. Wow. So at the end of that tribulation, here comes Jesus. He's going to return. He's going to save the world and save his people from the great tribulation. In Matthew 24, 29 through 31, Jesus said, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. There it is. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and with great glory. Look, this is immediately after the tribulation. And he will send his angels with a, with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds. He's saving his people from one end of heaven to the other. So Paul reiterated in his epistle what Jesus just said in Matthew 24. That when Jesus returns, he said in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. In other words, when he's going to bring an end to this tribulation period, it's not going to be a mystery. No, it's going to be visible to all people. And Jesus said that when he returns, yeah. he will immediately gather up all of his people. That's what he's going to do. Everyone who's alive, he's going to collect them and gather them up. His coming will be seen by every survivor of the great tribulation. His glory will be revealed and it will cause every unbeliever to want to hide from him is described in revelation they will fall down and declare that he is lord but it will be too late for those who are not saved when the lord returns you know we we have stories in the scripture about god appearing to people and how it impacted them how they were stricken with terror and fear you know uh, we have the Apostle Paul who had that kind of experience and he's on the road to Damascus just mm -hmm. buying his own business and all of a sudden the Lord appears to him in a bright light that actually blinded him and he went right to his knees and he immediately said, who art thou, Lord? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the way it's going to be. Well, it, it but was, everyone's going to know who it is. Absolutely. They're not going to say, who art thou? They're going to say, Jesus is Lord yes. when this event happens, when he returns. Amen. Yeah, even John, who wrote the book of Revelation, he knew Jesus. He called himself the one that Jesus loved, the one, uh, the beloved, the one who Jesus loved. But in the book of Revelation, when he describes his encounter with Jesus in this setting, he is undone and he falls on his face before Jesus. At his coming, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you have this story of the tribulation for like, like I said, it's Revelation chapter 4 through 18 and uh, and then all of a sudden in 19 you have a few verses devoted to the second coming of Jesus yes I mean it's not like a lot of chapters no it's like 10 verses yeah. that are devoted to the second coming of Jesus and then after Jesus returns he returns as this triumphant king which he already is and he returns for what purpose well he already said to save his people mm -hmm out of the great tribulation those who are still survivors of that great tribulation mm -hmm. and but also he, he 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 returns to set up something here on this earth and you can read about it in revelation chapter 20 in verses 1 through 10 uh, people call it the millennium mm -hmm. a millennium just means 1000 but the bible says in revelation 20 1 through 10 that jesus will rule on the earth for 1,000 years. So, for the next 1,000 years after Jesus returns, the way Revelation describes it, and there's some other passages that speak to this period of time, it says that there will be a one-world government. Yeah. What many people want today is a one-world government. Right. Globalists the problem want... Is the problem is who's going to be the ruler. We don't have a good ruler no, right we now don't on have this one. earth. I, I, I'm not the person for the I'm job. I'm not either. Uh, Please so don't appoint me. We don't have no a good ruler anyway. for this right now. 
But when Jesus comes, he will be the perfect dictator. Yes. He will be the perfect king. He yeah. will be the perfect ruler. Yeah. Because he's God and God is perfect in his righteousness. Mm-hmm. And he will rule, it says, with righteousness. And he will rule with a rod of iron. And he's going to do that for, the Bible says, 1,000 years. And he's going to rule from, it even tells us where the capital city is going to be. It's going to be from Jerusalem that he is going to rule during this period of time. And he is going to rule a restored Israel. Yeah. What we have right now in Israel is not a restored Israel. No. I mean, they don't have peace right now. No. They don't even believe in their Messiah as a nation yet. Right. But what we're going to have is a restored Israel in which Jesus will be ruling from there and he will rule the entire planet. Yeah. And so what a time that will be. Yes. You know, uh, God chose Israel to be his people. Mm-hmm. And he didn't do it by accident. He did it deliberately, intentionally. He chose that particular uh, man, Abraham, and his descendants, especially the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm-hmm. Uh, he chose them to be his people. And you know what we know about God is that he fulfills every promise that he makes. That's right. And throughout his word is that he promised the Israelites that a descendant of David would lead them to be the most powerful nation of the world. Mm -hmm. Those are prophecies in the Bible. It hasn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. It's got to happen or God is... Not telling the truth. Not telling the truth. And if he's not telling the truth about this in his word, why would we trust any other part of it? But he is. And I want you to see it in Isaiah because the prophet Isaiah speaks about this future time when the descendant of David is going to come and be the ruler. Listen to this. And it's very poetic. So just be poetic as you read it. You know, ca- you know when you're reading poetry, capture the imagery is what I'm talking about, right? Let, understand not just the words that are being read, but the picture that these words are painting. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Who are we talking about? Jesus. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, And with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. What's that a picture of? Peace. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Wow, what a picture. The knowledge of the Lord filling the earth like the waters cover the sea. Aren't you longing for that day? And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse. Who are we talking about? Jesus, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. So this hasn't even happened yet, right? There's nowhere in the history of Israel that this has happened yet. So this is yet to come. And it's going to come in this millennium period that we find in Revelation 20. But there's another passage. Yeah, it's in Zechariah 14, 1 through 9. Listen to this one. And I just think reading these and letting the word of God just pour over you about this future and, this, and what is coming. So listen again. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken 
The house is rifled and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. As I read that the first time, one thing I thought about is this argument that the God of the Old Testament is not the God of the New Testament. Oh, we are under grace by faith through Jesus. But listen, he's going to war on behalf of Jerusalem in the future and he will battle the nations. He is a God of judgment and righteousness. So then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. He's going to do it again. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two. Has that happened? Mm -hmm. From east to west making a very large valley. Half the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it to the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley for the mountain shall reach to Azel. You and your young, yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will be diminished. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time it shall happen that there will be light. And in that day it shall be that living water shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name is is one. So God promised Israel that he would restore and establish them to a place of prominence that will surpass their former glory. Jesus is the promised descendant of David, the root of Jesse, and he will rule the world from Israel for 1,000 years. And these are the three events that we want to summarize for you again about the things that will happen before the end of the world takes place. It's going to be a great tribulation. It's coming. There will be a great tribulation. And then Jesus will return as ruler and save his people from this great tribulation. And then Jesus will rule on the earth for 1,000 years. Wow. He said, man, that is insane. I've never seen an end of the world movie like that one before. (laughs) And neither have I. He said, why in the world should I believe this? Because this is prophecy that's found in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And you need to show me a prophecy in the Bible that hasn't been fulfilled. Other than these. Mm -hmm. The ones about the future. The ones about the future are the only ones that haven't been fulfilled. And as we've heard on Wednesday nights, there's over 2,000 prophecies in the Bible. And the vast majority of those have been fulfilled. And the the reason they're being fulfilled is because God is sovereignly driving it that's right you know no matter what's going on in our lives he's got a purpose and plan that he's carrying out in the world he's over the world he's sovereignly driving this now that tribulation will will end by you know the second coming of christ and then there will be this millennium and then there's going to be after that uh another conflict Mm -hmm. and we don't know exactly how that happens you know over a period of 1,000 years I'm assuming during the millennium people are going to still be given in marriage during the millennium and still having children so the population of the earth will be replenished over a thousand years I mean if Israel became from 70 to 1.5 million people in 400 years when they were in Egypt just think about what can happen in a thousand years with the survivors of the planet. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's going to be uh, a, a, another conflict and uh, that's going to happen and Jesus is going to exercise his authority one last time and then there's going to be something that's going to happen to this planet and this is the end. And it's found in 2 Peter 3.10. The Bible tells us that when this 1,000 year period of time is complete that the earth is going to be dissolved by fire. Not only the earth will be dissolved by fire, but the heavens around the earth are going to be dissolved by fire. Peter said it like this in 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. David said the same thing in 
Psalm 46, 6, uh, hundreds of years before Peter made his prophecy, he said, the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, and the earth just melted. Yeah. And that's how it's going to end. If you want to know how it's going to end, that's it right there. Science that's how it's going to end. Science can't stop this. There is no effort. When the day comes for the end, it's, it will end. Yeah, there's nothing you can do to avoid that ending. No. It's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so right now what the Bible says is going on, and, and God can do this. If he can create all of this in six days, you know, it doesn't take him very long to create something no. incredible. No. But it says that God is preparing a new earth within the new heaven for his people to be in. You say, well, where, where am I going to be during the millennium? Well, I'm not going to be here mm -hmm. during that time. Uh, I'm going to be, I'm, unless I'm one of those martyrs that are raised from the dead for the millennium, I, I'm, I'm going to be in paradise yeah. waiting that? for the new heaven and new earth yeah. to, to come. Mm -hmm. And uh, paradise is incredible. Uh, itself, Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's a place of the dead, but it's a magnificent place for those who are believers and followers of Christ. But what's coming after that, and I can't even imagine, is a new heaven and a new earth according to the word of God. And it's going to be for the Israelites and, and those who are not Israelites who have followed Jesus, mm. who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says on that new earth, there's going to be a new Jerusalem, a glorious capital city of God. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? This is the power of God and what he is planning and what he has declared. But before the celebration of this new heaven and this new earth can begin, there's one more event. It's the event that happens at the end of all things. So it's, be, it's between what? It's between the end. Thousand year reign. It's between the end. Uh-huh. Okay, and, and the new heaven and new, new earth. What's going to happen then? There's a after that, there's one final judgment in that period of time. It is a judgment that happens after the world comes to an end. The Bible describes this judgment in great detail. And here's when I thought about that. I thought, why in great detail? Well, because this is where everything is headed, and God wants us to know it. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because we need to put in perspective our lives and the glory and the supremacy of God, the righteousness of God. You know, the Bible says that it's better to attend a funeral than a feast. Why would it say that? Don't you like attending feasts better than funerals? Because it puts it into perspective that our life is a vapor, that it's here today and gone tomorrow. And we will all experience this day of judgment. You will be there at this day of judgment and I will be there at this day of judgment. Here's how the Bible describes it. It gives great detail in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. John's writing this vision. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before God and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And if anyone not found written in the book of life and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Wow. The end. The end. You know, Jesus described this judgment in another way. He said it like this, and I'm going to read it to you, Matthew 25. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. So do you have the picture? Here we are at the great white throne of judgment, and there's this separating of people. There's this group of people on his right, and there's this group of people on his left. It's the sheep, and it's the goats. It's those who are his, and those who are not his. And you know the best thing that could ever happen to you would be that you end up on the right side of that judgment seat. 
that there's not anything else that you could imagine that would be better. There is an incredible future waiting those whose names are written in the Lamb book of life. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.9. This is what Paul said, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Oh my goodness, the best thing that could ever happen. If I could give you a million dollars right now, if I could give you a billion dollars right now, if I could do anything to make your, if, if I could heal you of some kind of infirmity, if there was anything I could do for you right now, it would pale in comparison to you being on the right side of that day of judgment. It's the best thing that could ever happen to you. You know what that means by default? that the worst thing that could ever happen to you is that you would be on the wrong side of that judgment at the great white throne. And while it would be wonderful to be on the right side, it would be terrible to be on the wrong side of that judgment. It would be worse than losing a loved one who is most precious to you. It would be worse than going through the unprecedented and disastrous events that we described in the great tribulation. As bad as the great tribulation is going to be, it would be worse that you were on the wrong side of that judgment. There is nothing that anyone has experienced nor could experience that would be worse for them than arriving at that day of the great white throne of judgment and ending up on the wrong side of that judgment. According to God's word, those who are on the wrong side of this judgment will be cast away from God forever in the lake of fire, as it's described in Revelation. It's a place that Jesus called hell, a place the Bible describes in Revelation 20, 14 and 15, the lake of fire. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Because we know how it's going to end, we this morning, before any of this comes, at this point in time, while you're sitting in this room, God has, by his grace and through his sovereignty, given you a divine opportunity to ask the most important question that any person could ever ask in their life. How can I end up on the right side when I face God's judgment for my sins? That's it. It's the most important question. You've got to answer this question. You need to know how to answer this question, and you can ask it and answer it right now. And what you need to know is, is that God wants you to be on the right side of that judgment. Yes. And the reason that these things are in his word is to warn you so that you will make the right decision to be on the right side of his judgment. They're not just there to let us know in our heads what's going to happen. They're there for us to get prepared to have an honest conversation about the end of all things and to prepare for the end and to prepare for this judgment, the end, right there. Yeah. That's what it's all about. And so this is why God sent his son Jesus. It's because he doesn't want us to end up on the wrong side of his judgment. <laughs> he wants us to end up on the right side of his judgment yeah. because he loves us yeah. and he cares for us. He created us. But he's a righteous God, and he must judge the world righteously. Yeah. And that means the end of all things as we know it. And my sin, apart from Jesus, has landed me on the wrong side of that judgment. Absolutely. And you need to understand that your sin, apart from Jesus and the work of God, has landed you already on the wrong side of that judgment. And that's why Jesus in John chapter 3 said these words to a man by, uh, named Nicodemus who was looking for the truth. And I hope you're looking for the truth today. Because here it is right here. This is the truth if you're looking for it. It says, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Mm. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world, through him, men might be saved. He who believes in him, here you go, here's how you get on the right side of that judgment. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Mm. So Jesus is the only one who can save you and move you from the wrong side of that judgment to the right side of that judgment. Mm -hmm. And the reason why 
he's the only one who can do that is that first of all he's God yes but second of all he is the only one who could atone for your sins and pay the price that you deserve for your sins Mm -hmm. he's the only one that could experience the wrath of God on your behalf for your sake to deliver you but listen to me, he is the one who said he who does not believe is condemned. Yeah. It all comes down to that. What do you believe? What do you believe about Jesus? That's going to determine where you're going to end up in the end. So we want to give you an invitation today. What do you need to do? What do you need to do? Practically, what do you need to do? To end up on the right side of the judgment. Well listen to what Paul said. In Romans chapter 10 verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth. The Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. And believe in your heart. That God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Isn't that good news? Amen. Thank you Jesus. Just like Ronette did. Just like I did. Just Mm -hmm. like Brandon did. Just like many have done here. We came to a point. Where we were at the end of ourselves. God made himself known to us in such a way, like he did for her, if we heard in the story, gave us a choice and said, decide, decide. Hmm. And we decided. Yeah. And we, this is what we did. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from you, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made into salvation. Hmm. For the scripture says... Whoever believes on him, meaning Jesus, will not be disappointed. Mm. Would you bow your heads with us this morning? And we just want to give you an opportunity right now to respond to this message by receiving Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. If you're ready to do that this morning, we're leaving the scripture up here because this is our support for this. We don't have any thing to share with you unless it's based on the scripture. Would you right now get on the right side of the judgment by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Right where you're seated, would you just confess to the Lord? He's here right now. He's in this place with us. He's listening to you. He brought you here for this reason. Will you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord right now? Just tell him, just like Renette did. Just tell him, Lord, I decide for you. I'm with you now. Clean me up. Clean me up. You don't clean yourself up. You come to Jesus. You present yourself to him. You yield yourself to him. You subject subject yourself to him. You surrender yourself to him, and he cleans you up. He cleans you up through his spirit that he sends to dwell within you. So would you just do that? Pray after me. Lord Jesus, I receive you as my personal Savior and Lord. Thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you, Lord, for not giving up on me. Thank you, Lord, for doing what you did to save me. Dying for me. Thank you, Lord. Just pray that unto the Lord. Prayer of salvation. Offer it to the Lord right now. Mean it from your heart. Now with our heads bowed and our eyes shut, no one looking around, I'm not even going to look around. I just want you to give an outward indication. If you just prayed to receive the Lord, You want to be on the right side of that judgment and you believe in Jesus, that he loves you, that he died for you, and you just prayed that prayer of salvation unto him, I want you right now just to lift your hand unto the Lord like this. Just lift your hand unto the Lord. I did it. That's me. That's me. That's what I did. December 31st, 1971. I'm yours, Lord. I surrender. Now, if you raised your hand, you can put your hand down. The Lord prescribed a way for you to make your faith public. And it's not by lifting your hand just to him. That's a great thing to do. 
But the way he prescribed for us to make our faith public was through the waters of baptism. And we want to give an invitation to you today to follow the Lord in baptism if you've received the Lord and you haven't done that. It's a, it's a picture. It's a picture when you go under that water that your old life is dead with Christ. And that when you come up out of that water, you have a new life in Jesus. And he's now the Lord of your life. And you're a new creation in him because he sent his spirit to dwell within you. Follow the Lord in baptism. So we're going to sing a song of invitation this morning as we conclude this service. And I'm going to be right here. If you would like to be baptized, then I want you just to get up and come up here with me and uh, meet me right here at the front. Would you do that? Let's stand together. Let's sing unto the Lord. And this is God's invitation to you. Follow him in baptism this morning. Would you do it?